at the end. Lord, we ask you, give ear to our prayers and by your gracious visitation, lighten the darkness of our hearts by our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, right now, we ask that by the power and the illumination of your Holy Spirit, you'd enable us to understand what this word and other words that we'll read today mean uh, and that you'd give us the will to put them into practice. And Father, we pray this boldly and confidently through Jesus Christ, our King and Saviour and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, the weary world rejoices. Uh, What an incredible promise. From O Holy Night, uh, an incredible hymn that we sang last week, and I'm pretty sure we'll sing it again next week. Uh, the, The title of our series, These Weeks of Advent, is a beautiful offer of joy in the face of weariness. Uh, Again, if you were with us last week, as we kind of kicked off this series, um, it it might well be that you are not as familiar with some of the traditional elements of Christianity and churches that kind of observe calendars and so on. Uh, Perhaps the church you grew up in didn't kind of observe those things, or perhaps you didn't grow up in the church at all. If that's you, we're so glad that you're here. We want to be a church for people uh, who haven't grown up in the church. But the word Advent uh, is simply another word for the word coming. And Advent is all about the coming of Christ. Uh, First, it's the coming of Christ in his first coming. uh, But secondly, it's about his return as well. Uh, We remember and look forward to the first Advent of Christ. But we're also left longing for him to return and to make all things new. There's probably a third coming of Christ that we're also conscious of. That Christ has sent his spirit to dwell in us. uh, To help us while we wait Uh, for the return of our God and Saviour. And so this Advent, we've been reflecting on one verse in particular. What we normally do as a church, if you join us next year, our normal practice is we grab a book of the Bible and we just kind of work through it, a paragraph or a paragraph or two or three or a chapter or two or three at a time. And that's kind of what we normally do. But what we're doing at this time of the year is we're focusing in on this one verse from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, reflecting on the incredible promises made some 700 years before the birth of Christ about his first coming uh, and indeed looking forward to his second coming as well. Isaiah 9 verse 6, I think it'll pop up on the screen as well. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, Last week we considered Jesus as the fulfillment of one of those names as our wonderful counsellor. Today we'll consider Jesus in particular as Mighty God uh, and Everlasting Father. And next week our Christmas Eve service will consider Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And all of these I think are great opportunities to invite others to consider Jesus. Uh, to, in, uh, to invite people along to church. I think that people are more willing to come to church at Christmas time than sometimes we are to invite them. Uh, and so if you are the result of an invitation today, welcome. We're glad that you came. Thank you for saying yes. Uh, but let's all think next week, who can we bring along uh, to consider Christ, uh, to consider who he is and what he offers? Um, the greatest gift that we have is that in Jesus, God has given himself to us. But kind of three, three gifts in particular that we've been focusing in on. Last week we considered how Jesus gifts wisdom for the weary. That's good news. Uh, today, Jesus gifts strength for the weak. Give us a show of hands if you're weak. There we go. Those that didn't put their hands up, 
two weeks. I'll put their hands up. There we go. So it's all of us. And, and next week, Jesus gives peace for the world. Who's part of the world? Everyone. There we go. There we go. But we're focusing in today particularly on, um, on mighty God giving strength to the weak. Mighty God, everlasting Father. Let's set the scene. Um, uh, we, we've had read out for us Isaiah chapter 40, and I'll get you to keep it out and keep it open. And I'm going to actually read it again. We've only just heard it read out, but I want, I want to read it again, and I want, you to, I want you to see what's on offer. For those who wait upon the Lord. We, most of us put a hand up to say we, we are very conscious of the, the weakness in our arms, the weakness in our lives, the weakness in our work, the weakness in our relationships, the ways in which we, we're not as strong as we'd like to think we are. And so there's a wonderful offer of strength for us amid our weakness. Pick it up in verse 27. Isaiah, it says, uh, this is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths, young punks shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted but they who wait for the lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint that's good news for the weak and the weary is it not amen amen that was, the, that was the most energetic we've been to go, yes, that's good news. Amid the weakness, amid the lack of strength, I'm, I'm conscious as recently uh, having turned 27. <laughs> there, there we go, that's a good laugh. Thank you. I, I, I'm conscious that, that with every year that passes, it's a few years since 27, but, but, but just conscious of that, that, certainly the weariness, but that weakness and not just the phys physical side of things, but the sorrow um, at the things of this world, the sorrow at the things in my life, the, 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 the ways in which I, I, I know that I should live and I should walk and I fall short and I, I'm conscious of being prone to wander. I'm conscious of the weakness within my flesh. And so as I read a passage like this, it's a passage that, that helps me to take a step back and see that my weakness is a reminder that I'm not God. My weakness is a reminder that I'm not the everlasting God. I'm, I'm not the, the God who does not faint and grow weary. I am not the God whose understanding is unsearchable. I'm not the all-powerful, almighty, holy, incomparable God. And I'm desperately in need of what that God offers to me. And yet, as we turn back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we, we, we learn something of the mighty God in Isaiah and his offer of strength to the weak. Look at what we learn about in Isaiah 9 about mighty God. Isaiah 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born. 
To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counsel, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It almost feels like a paradox, doesn't it? That the child who is born, that the son who will be given, is also known as Mighty God. And there's something of the wonder of Advent, the wonder of that first Christmas, the wonder of the doctrine of the incarnation of God. That God, mighty God, everlasting God, would put on flesh, be born in a manger. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and yet this humble one, born in humble circumstances, is mighty God putting on flesh. And ultimately, this is mighty God putting on flesh and actually embracing something of our weakness. That in God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in some sense, steps aside from his strength and his glory in one sense and puts on weakness, ultimately, to bring an end to our weakness and to give us his strength. You know, as we think about um, mighty God um, coming in and through this child who is given, this son who is born, and gifts strength to the weak, I want to think a little bit more about this idea of, of gifts and this idea of God gifting us the ultimate gift in and through himself. And so there's three things I want us to consider having set the scene uh, about the gift that God offers. Who's ready for them? Number one, who's ready? There we go, there we go. Not many weak people here. Uh, number one is the gift of God. Uh, number one is the gift of God. And uh, if you've uh, got a Bible there, uh, please turn to John chapter one. Uh, we'll camp out here for a little while. Uh, we won't unpack all of John one. That would take a long time. Um, but as we think about the gift of God, the danger is that we will value the gifts more than the gift giver. You see, the ultimate gift at Christmas is not just something from God, it's God. Mighty God has come near. The gift of God is the gift. The, the gift of God is the gift of God. You know, John's Gospel uh, is a biography written about, from, by John, one of Jesus' closest disciples and friends. Uh, it's a biography about Jesus. Uh, it's a little bit different from Matthew, Mark and Luke. He's a bit more of an arts student, uh, a little bit more poetic in the way that he speaks. Uh, and verse 1 to 18 of John's Gospel, we could spend a long time drilling into this prologue uh, that kind of really sets the scene in a cosmic way of who this one is who has been born. Uh, we learn that he is the word. We learn that he is eternal. We learn that he is the creator. We learn that in him is life. We learn that in him is light. We learn that he is the saviour. And it says in John chapter 1 verse 14, And the word, who was there in the beginning, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It describes there that the word of God, the one who, through whom all things were made, he has become flesh. 
The word became flesh. It's literally the idea of he pitched his tent among us. He tabernacled among us. He lived among us. That whole idea of the word becoming flesh, a description of Jesus, God the Son coming into the world, is picking up imagery from the the Old Testament, the first uh, three quarters of the Bible, 39 books concerning the story of how God worked in and through the nation of Israel. But in the Old Testament, we, meet, we, we, we learn that God symbolically tabernacled. He camped among his people. And in Jesus, we have God dwelling among his people. God has come near as God has put on flesh, as the word of God, the, God, the everlasting God. The mighty God who has no beginning and no end has pitched his tent amidst his people. Quick show of hands if you're a fan of camping. You people. Decent number. Quick show of hands if you just hate camping. Less. Okay, we've got less. We've got less. There we go. Um, We generally love camping. Um, though kind of camping at this time of the year with humidity. How bad has the humidity been the last couple of days? Oh my goodness. Humidity can be a killer. Um, and yeah, weather conditions can sometimes be a bit of a killer. We got flooded out when we went camping last year at one point. Came home early because of the rain. And yet, one of the worst things about camping is bad neighbours in nearby tents. Amen? Can I get a loud amen on that one? There we go. I I think Andrew Gillen at the back there is probably one of those bad neighbours. No, he'd be a good neighbour. He's one of my neighbours. He's a great neighbour. So there we go. (laughs) Dig yourself out of that hole, Dave. We, um, uh, Ro and I, before we actually had kids, we we led a a camp um, of uh, junior high uh, youth group. Um, About 80 kids that we took along uh, and had an experience that was terrible because of some neighbours that we had. There was a junior rugby league team and their grubby parents who pulled up next to all of our 80 kids that we were parenting and trying to care for. The kids were rowdy. Uh, The parents were even rowdier. It was an awful weekend of camping. The good news, when God pitches his tent near us, he's a good neighbour. That God has come near at one level ought to strike a level of fear within us. And yet it is good news that God has come near. That mighty God has pitched his tent among us. In Jesus, God who became flesh. We see God's glory. We see his beauty. We see his majesty. We see his wonder. And the remarkable claim of Christianity is that when you see Jesus, you are seeing God. Look down with me at at, uh, John 1 verse 18. It says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. You see, Jesus is the only God. He is the creator who enters his creation. It's only through Jesus that you will see God because Jesus is God. There's not multiple gods. There is one true and living God. But there are three persons within the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been around Christianity for a long time, perhaps, I don't know, maybe the message of Christmas can get a little bit familiar. And maybe even the message of Christmas can become a little bit monotonous. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be the glory given. 
word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Are you kidding me? Jesus, to thee be the glory giving. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. We ought never grow weary of the, the truths that are presented in these songs and the message of Christmas year after year. One of the things I've argued for a while is we should sing Christmas songs more than just in December every year. Because the gift of God is God himself. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Let us be a people who never grow weary of knowing that God has pitched his tent among us. There's this beautiful exchange in C.S. Lewis's uh, Prince Caspian in the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, Aslan is the one uh, who is the lion. He's an allegorical figure for God. And there's this beautiful interaction between Aslan and uh, Lucy. I think Lucy is my favourite character across all of the books. Woo! There we go. Uh, Aslan, <laughs> said Lucy, <laughs> you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I love that. The older we get, the further we get away from being a babe and our own birth, the more we reflect on the extraordinary truth that God became flesh that God pitched his tent among us, the more we are to, to behold him, to see him in his grandeur, to be blown away by his glory and his majesty, that he has come that we may know him. And yet while the ultimate gift of God is the gift of God, God also brings good gifts through Jesus. The second thing I want you to notice is the gifts from God. Point one, the gift of God. Point two, the gifts from God. God is a good, uh, God is a God that gives good gifts. Uh, he gave good gifts to his people in the Old Testament and he gives good gifts to his people in the New Testament and today. And I want you to notice from John chapter one how the gift, the gift in Jesus, uh, the gifts in Jesus are even better than the gifts in the Old Testament. Have a look at verse 17. It says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, uh, in, in the law, uh, kind of in particular the first five books of the Bible, uh, the law was given through Moses. God had rescued his people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt. And then the law, uh, or the Ten Commandments in particular, were given to God's rescued people about to, how to live as God's rescued people. Now, the law is good. It reflects the character of a good and holy God. But here's the thing with the law. It also brought fear. Because when we are confronted with God's holiness, we are also confronted with our own sin and unholiness. And so what the law did in the Old Testament is that it showed a gap between us and God. He is holy, we are unholy. He is righteous, we are unrighteous. And so the law was given through Moses, but what does verse 17 then say? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus bridges the gap between us and God. The law set a good standard, but we never met the standard of the law. Our sin is exposed. We've sinned against God in thought, in word, and in deed. We failed to love God as God, 
We fail to honour him as our creator. We fail to give thanks to him from whom every good gift has come. We fail to love our neighbour as ourselves. And yet in Jesus, we meet the one who has met the standard, who has loved his father, who has loved his neighbour. And Jesus has met that standard on our behalf. We say this often at Christ our refuge, but, but Jesus Christ has lived the perfect life, the life that we failed to live, the righteous life on our behalf. And we are made righteous if we trust in him. You know, it's interesting that the phrase there in verse 17 of grace and truth having come through Jesus, uh, they're interesting terms. Truth says we deserve judgment from a holy God. And yet grace says, you can be forgiven. Now, grace without truth is a form of liberalism. What does that mean? Well, we tell people that God loves them and that there is no consequence for the way they've lived. And yet truth without grace is a form of fundamentalism where we are unswerving in proclaiming the truth, but we lack love in the way that we do it. Both come from Jesus, and we need both of them. We need the truth that we've fallen short and deserve God's judgment. And we need to relish in the grace that has come in Christ Jesus that we can be forgiven. Because ultimately we see grace and truth, or mercy and justice and judgment, come together at the cross. Jesus, he is the one, born in that manger, mighty God, took Weakness upon himself, knows our need to our weakness. He's no stranger. And yet he's lived a life we failed to live. He's lived a life without sin. And then he dies a death on the cross, a death for sin in our place for us. And then Jesus rises from the dead physically. And he offers life, physical resurrection life to all who would but trust in him. It's through Jesus Christ that grace and truth come it's through Jesus Christ that it's possible for our judgment to be genuinely dealt with by a holy God and making it possible for forgiveness to be given freely as a gift to all who trust in mighty God, in Jesus. And so this Christmas, this Advent in Jesus, we, we get the gift of God himself, but also in Jesus we get gifts from God. You see, in the offer of grace and truth, that's revealed some 33 years after the, the birth of Christ in the cross and resurrection of Christ. Let me ask you, have you received the gifts of grace and truth? Have you received the bad news of being offside with God, the truth of the matter, and yet the good news of God's grace shown to you in that babe, in that mighty God who took on flesh, who pitched his tent, who dwelt among us, who offers us something even better than what the law was ever able to offer. Have you received these gifts of grace and truth? Well, here's what we've seen. Number one, the gift of God. Number two, the gifts from God. And the third and final point uh, is the gift that keeps on giving. The gift that keeps on giving, like a packet of Tim Tams that never runs out. The gift that God offers in Jesus is a gift that keeps on giving. Have a look at verse 16, John chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Gift upon gift. The closer you get, the more you will see God's kindness 
overflowing to you in Jesus. Who's had uh, a chance to enjoy some of the Christmassy things around Brismas? Brismas. Brismas. I think they actually sometimes do say Brismas, but yeah, who's enjoyed some of the Christmassy things? What have people enjoyed? What have people been able to do out and about? Shout it out. The Christmas lights. Oh, Burpengary East. Drive all the way to Burpengary East. I'll give you the address later. There's a crazy house up there. Any, anything else? Fruit mince pies. Come to our Christmas Eve service. We're going to have fruit mince pies upon fruit mince pies. They're going to be everywhere that the eye can see and the belly can behold. What else? Carols. Carols. Do you go to like the River Stage ones? Is anyone? <coughs> a, a, a Baptist church, Brisbane Baptist up the road. Brilliant. Has anyone been to uh, what's the gar- Roma Street this year? You've got to go to that. Got to go to that. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. Someone has. Um, there's also good things you can enjoy at this time of the year in this city. Yeah, I think it's a great place for Christmas. The humidity does get a little bit opposite of all the snow that we see on the movies. Uh, but not everything is great about Christmas in Brisbane, right? And perhaps you, you're feeling like that now, <laughs> that not everything's actually great. Hey, the lights look cool on the outside, but there's some stuff going on on the inside. Verse 16 says that we've received grace upon grace, but perhaps right now it feels like disappointment upon disappointment, weakness upon weakness, difficulty upon difficulty, sadness upon sadness. And and I'm really conscious that even right now, as you contemplate just the next week or so, that, that it could be a really difficult time for you as you contemplate just family relationships, struggling with illness, broken relationships, death and Christmas without loved ones. And I want to urge you to Embrace those hard times, enabling those hard times to help you to hope all the more in the message of Jesus. Because we are so thankful for the first advent of Christ. But this is also a time of longing, where the things that aren't going well are an opportunity to long for when everything will go well once and for all. And it is coming. Like Christ has come, mighty God has put on flesh, been born in a manger, has lived for us, died for us and been raised again. We know that he will return. And so may this season, and maybe if we're just conscious with every year that gets added to our life, with every disappointment that comes our way, that it would prepare us to be ready for that day. That the darkness of this world would cause us to long all the more for when Jesus will return. You see, weakness in these last days is a reminder of the strength on offer from mighty God. It's a reminder that the promise of Isaiah 40 only has a partial fulfillment for us as we become a Christian. We're longing to to put it on all the more. We're we're longing to, to, to no longer get cramps in weird places. We're longing to no longer be down and sorrowful about the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the things we observe in this world. Weakness, failing strength is a reminder of the incredible strength on offer from mighty God, the one who for a time put aside his strength to make it possible for us to be strengthened, to make it possible for us to receive the gift that keeps on giving. And that is the, the life that we'll enjoy with God, that we get a foretaste of now in a real way 
because of Jesus. But we get to take hold of all the more when he comes again. You know, John, who wrote John's gospel, also wrote uh, the final book of the Bible. Uh, he wrote three letters between there and the book of Revelation. I'll get you to turn to Revelation. And in Revelation, the second last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, I want to do something that I think every Advent needs to do. That we not only look back to that wondrous moment when mighty God put on flesh, but that we, we lift up our eyes and look ahead to that great day when we will be with him face to face, skin to skin. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Quick side note, that language there is the same type of language from John chapter 1, that tabernacled language, that God pitching his tent among his people, God dwelling with his people. God dwelt with his people in and through the, com in and through, uh, the Old Testament tabernacle, in and through the, the tent of meeting. God has dwelt with his people in and through the Lord Jesus Christ coming into this world. God, Ephesians chapter 2, has dwelt with his people as he lives in us now by his spirit. But look at the, the promise of Revelation 21 verse 3. Uninterrupted communion. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be there with them as their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Can you see it? Does this moment and even this opportunity as we close this sermon help you to not just be looking forward to celebrating Christmas and all the good things that are part of that, but help you to long all the more and wait for the day and pray, Lord, would you speed that coming? The hands that flung stars into space, the hands that nursed Mary's breast, the hands that had nails pierced through them are the hands that will wipe every tear from our eyes. Look up and look ahead at your mighty God, your everlasting Father, your King and your Saviour. Jesus is the only God. And so we trust him. In our moments of weakness, we know that he is the one we get strength from. And he is the one who will ultimately strengthen us for all of eternity when we will see his face, when we'll behold his glory, when pain will be no more. 
Look, as we conclude, I, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture a, a package arriving when you're not at home. Uh, there's a, a, a red, white, and blue card that's been put in your, your, your letterbox. What do you need to do if you want to get that package? Well, you need to just walk or drive to the post office and you pick it up. Many receive a card year after year. but haven't actually received the gift. What do I mean by that? Many of us are happy enough to enjoy the good things from God, enjoy the good things of this season from God, but never actually put our trust in God and receive his gift and take hold of, of Jesus, mighty God who came and lived among us in the flesh. I love this quote from John Piper in his book, God is the Gospel. He says, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savouring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ was not there will not be there. The Gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It is a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things... We have not been converted by the gospel. It's fairly confronting. And yet I hope and trust that as you hear again of the gift of God offered in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'd receive that gift, that you'd take hold of that mighty God who has come near, that you take hold of the strength that he offers you, not just now to deal with your problems and deal with your tough situations, but to take hold of that strength that sets you up for eternity as one who belongs to him, as one who will behold his glory, as one who will see his face, as one who will prize him as our gift above all things. Let me pray to that end. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we are really conscious right now that as we gather, we are a weak people needing strength, Father, there might be things going on in people's lives right now that they need specific strength for tomorrow, uh, next week, next month, into the new year. Father, would you give that to them? Would you strengthen them by your spirit? Would you comfort them with your holy word? But Father, would you help each and every single one of us, every moment that we are conscious of our own weakness and frailty, that we would see the strength that is on offering Jesus is not just to get us through situations uh, in this temporal life, but in and through Jesus, the greatest gift, the mighty God who has come near, uh, we have the offer of eternal strength, of eternal life, of forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you so much that he has come. And Father, we, we do indeed pray that you would speed the return of your son, Jesus. Father, we, we, we really do long to see his face. We are so thankful for those hands that flung stars into space, those hands that uh, were nursed by Mary, those hands that had nails pierced through them. We, we, we long for those hands to wipe every tear from our eyes. We long for our dwelling place to be your dwelling place and your dwelling place to be our dwelling place. So, Father, would you speed that day? And, Father, would you help us as a church community to be uh, people that, that, that offer that, that hope, that offer that refuge, that offer that security, that offer that strength to one another week by week, and that likewise we would be uh, a, a place of refuge for people to take hold of what Christ offers here in this city 
uh, for the good of all people, um, for our joy and for the glory of your holy name, we pray. Amen. Thank you.